One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. For me, it's comparable to a drug addiction. You know, like this week, I have been thinking about all week, like, when can I get my next fix of going into a store and buying something and getting that hit of, like, dopamine? Meet 30-year-old Brooke. She is a self-confessed shopping addict from North Carolina in the U.S. So when I am in a store, none of the stressors of the outside world matter. You know, I'm there and I don't have to think about the stress of work. I don't have to think about, you know, the fact that I don't have a whole lot of friends. You know, so sometimes just being able to walk around a store, it's like I can take a deep breath. But Brooke's shopping habits are taking a toll on her life. I live paycheck to paycheck and I always have. And the sad part is I don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. The thing about Brooke is that her addiction to shopping isn't so unusual. An estimated 6-7% to of Americans say they suffer from the same affliction. But how many of us regularly buy things that we don't really need? With Black Friday and now Christmas on the horizon, when does overspending become a real problem? Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. Coming up, what to do when shopping becomes an illness. I'll be getting advice from LA-based financial therapist and coach Amanda Clayman. Plus, addiction specialist Pamela Roberts will be explaining the psychology of addiction. But first, back to Brooke. Some of her earliest memories of shopping are actually very positive. We would go like with my mom and her sisters and like my grandma and we would go shopping like for Black Friday. It was just a really fun time. You know, shopping always, you know, brought such fun and good feelings, you know, and that's some of the earliest like memories I have. And then in high school, my mom showed me like secondhand shopping. Brooke says part of the thrill of shopping for her as an adult is getting a good deal. Something that I can definitely relate to. I, you know, wear getting a good deal like a badge of honor. It is just an excitement and a high is the best word. But somewhere along the line, that bargain hunting got out of control. I went into a secondhand shop and um, I found 
a one pair of shorts, right? Like for $8, great deal. Well, they were doing a 70% off clearance stuff. So I got a bag of leggings and shorts and like exercise clothes that like I didn't need. 100% did not need. I came out of that store and I turned to my husband because um, he was actually in there too. I turned to him and I said, this was stupid. I, did, I literally could have just bought the $8 shorts and been done. I didn't need anything else. But it's like the guilt doesn't outweigh the addiction. And were you tempted to, to go back and get a refund for it all? No. <laughs> I think it comes from this place of like, a scarcity mentality. Like if I don't buy it now, I'm not going to be able to get it later. And I don't know where the scarcity mentality comes from because I've never had an issue. You know, we've always had like food on the table. You know, I've, I've always had everything I've ever needed, but I have this feeling of, you know, I have money right now. If I don't buy it now, I may not be able to buy it in the future. Brooke's addiction obviously has a huge impact on her emotionally. But where does it leave her financially? My husband has to hold on to my credit card. The only reason why I have it right this second in my wallet is because it's maxed out. May I ask, how, how much money do you think you are owing now on your on your credit cards from shopping like this? Um, this one credit card is maxed out right now at $6,500. Um, I do not have any other credit cards. I will not get any other credit cards. But, you know, I paid down a good bit of it and then ended up right back in the same situation. Mm. And you said that you've had some therapy in the in the past. Is this something that's ongoing? So um, I've had a few different like therapists over the years. And, you know, no one really takes shopping addiction seriously, mm. I guess. None of the therapists that I've had so far, you know, it's a pretty simple thing of, you know, well, just don't go into the store. And I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> yes, obviously, <laughs> you know, I struggle a lot with not feeling great about myself and having a low self-esteem. You know, I mm. got in the gym last year. I lost 35 pounds. Well done. Um, you know, I'm in like the best shape of my life. I ran a 5K and, you know, I thought making some of these changes would help the shopping addiction and it doesn't. It doesn't fill that void of, you know, low self-esteem and then feeling lonely. So a lot of times I go into a store and even being able to talk to other people shopping and talking to the cashiers, it makes, it gives me a human interaction mm, okay. that I miss. Let's talk a little bit about the, about the paycheck to paycheck. I mean, you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. What, what alternative could you see for yourself? As far as like what I would like to do in the future. I mean, I would like to go on a big vacation. You know, I would like my husband and I, we both, you know, enjoy traveling. We don't go on big vacations. We don't do big things that cost a lot of money because we, because we can't, because of me. And, you know, I would like to own a house one day. I mean, we can't, we can't keep a savings account because I spend the money. Is there part of you that maybe deep down inside thinks I don't deserve those things? Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, I, on a very fundamental level, I feel deeply unlikable and probably unworthy of the great life that I have right now. I mean, I have a wonderful husband, a wonderful dog. I mean, I love my job. I love my coworkers. You know, I shouldn't feel so empty. Well, 
We're really glad, Brooke, that you came on the podcast because we want to help you and others who are listening to this. What are the kinds of things that you would like to ask our podcast experts? Really, you know, what are other people who are in recovery for this? You know, what what have they done that works? Mm-hmm. And then on the financial side, um, I mean, to give you some hope, would it help to look at some financial plans that you could put into place with the money that you're able to save or perhaps some help with paying the debts off? Yes, I look... At this point in my life, I am up for any suggestions. I will try them, you know, anyone who who could possibly help. Well, we can't solve Brooke's shopping addiction on the podcast. This is a condition that requires long-term treatment. We've linked to lots of resources that could help in the show notes for this episode. But I did want to speak to some people who might help us to better understand it. My impression of Brooke is, is that she's so perceptive mm. about her situation. She's she's actually, like, I, I feel like if she had written a clinical assessment of herself, it would be accurate. That's Amanda Clayman, a financial therapist and coach. I spoke to her from her base in LA. So for Brooke, um, the fact that she... She knows that she has low low self-esteem. She knows that she has uh, tried these different ways to to address some of the feelings inside and has made some changes in her life. Um, She's talked to her husband, et cetera, and she feels like this behavior is just so sticky. And one of the things that we know about compulsive buying disorder is that it tends to co-occur with a lot of other stuff that's going on with us. So like, um, it wasn't a surprise to me, for example, that, that Brooke was reporting that she experiences a low level of, of social support. And in all of the conversation that we had about her shopping addiction, how it manifests itself, she really didn't spend any time talking to me about the things that she was buying. It was more about the experience, the feelings, the interactions with shop assistants, the conversations that Mm -hmm. she's having with people, that for her is what is really driving this, the desire for for contact. The desire for contact, but also a very specific kind of contact. When we go into a shopping situation, we have in some ways, the appearance of social interaction. I mean, we really are interacting, but you know, but it's a, a, a not a deep level of connection, right? Like these are ways that that it it can it absolutely does serve to kind of fill up our our emotional bucket, which is feeling very empty uh, when we walk into those situations. It, it does work. It's just that it doesn't work reliably, right? Like Brooke mentioned, I feel so terrible when I get out to my car. And, you know, that's when the the bubble bursts or the moment is over. Um, she is getting what she needs in the beginning of that behavioral cycle. It's just that by the end of it, it ends up being more dissatisfying because it has failed to live up to the hope and the promise of, of what we engage in that behavior thinking it's going to do. Can you offer any hope to Brooke and others listening to this podcast with similar problems 
that it is possible to overcome these kinds of problems, even if it's complex? So first of all, don't think of it as a personal failure. Think of it as a a process or a program that's kind of running in your brain and body. Um, And the first step is to pay attention to it. So if we can get really clear on some of the specifics, like what is the shopping behavior? What's the feeling that I have before it? Where is my level of tension? So become like a, a scientist in the field, just observing yourself with as much neutrality and self-compassion as we can. So we assess, we get information, and then we start to identify options for things that might be adjustable. So once you're clear on the scope of the problem, after becoming a scientist in the field of your own tension, as you said, how can you start to adjust? What sort of treatment should you look at? You can explore practitioners or models uh, in cognitive behavioral therapy. Because when we have these compulsive patterns, it's like our brain, it's like somebody clicks on a program and then that program runs. And once it gets clicked on, it's very difficult to stop that program from running. Like cognitive behavioral techniques and interventions allow you to really get in on this granular level of specificity about the behavior and start to identify where we can maybe take an off-ramp like before we go fully onto that highway where this program is just going to run. And what other tools or techniques would you learn through cognitive behavioural therapy? Like how would you get off that highway? I love this one. It's called urge surfing, which means like when this feeling comes up, one of the things that people have to learn is that when tension level or stress level feels like it's on level 10 and we go, oh no, this is an emergency. How can I bring my stress level back down? Um, when we surf the urge, we go, Ooh, I really want to stop. How can it let, I'm just going to pause for five minutes and then see how this feeling feels. The idea is, is that we, we practice tolerating that feeling and especially experiencing how that feeling will peak and then it will start to, to ebb and fall. So sometimes it's just teaching people that when that feeling feels like it's on 10, that's not a moment that lasts forever. Mm. Now, on the financial side of things, you've heard how Brooke is stuck in this cycle of, of credit card debt, being unable to save and not being able to do the things that she would really like to do, like travel or buy a house. Now, as a financial coach, how could somebody like Brooke, go about working towards these financial goals at the same time as learning to surf the urge and Mm -hmm. get a handle on her spending habits? So the thing that will really unlock, I think, for Brooke is that when she starts to experience herself and really center herself in where she wants her money to go and how she wants to take care of herself, with money, so to give money a different job in her life other than emotional soothing, which is kind of the the role that it's in right now. What I understand by addiction is commonly known in in the world of addiction is that it's a way of managing emotions. So it's a way of a way of self-soothing that has become its own problem. That's Pamela Roberts. She is a UK-based psychotherapist and addiction specialist at the Priory Hospital in Woking. 
that's one of the, the definitions we get, that addiction is, is a process that takes place and cannot be stopped despite the negative consequences. And at that point, we say, OK, this is addiction. Something else needs to be done. For Pamela, addiction is a catch-all term for a lot of things going on. Our culture, our society encourages shopping. We talk about it as um, um, as something that's soothing. If you're having a bad day, go and buy it yourself. Yeah, retail therapy. Exactly. It's very normalised. But for some people, it, it becomes a problem. So if Brooke came to you for help, how would you work with her or other shopping addicts to help her overcome or manage and live with this addiction? Because you can't give up shopping. We, we all need to no. buy things. Um, I think some of the ways would be, first of all, establishing the, the routines of what, what is healthy shopping, what's unhealthy shopping, you know, what's necessity. Um, sometimes to begin with, it might be actually getting someone else to do the shopping, just to give a period of, of abstinence to then explore what are the triggers, what's going on, what's, what's creating the urges. Um, that might be in an extreme situation or even getting someone to go along, going along with lists. So having a list of what is essential shopping right now. Another thing I would often do is ask people to record absolutely every single spend. So if it's a cup of coffee, if it's a newspaper, just for a little while, keep a note of every single spend so that we start to create a pattern to see what's going out, starting to be accountable and responsible for every single penny that's being spent. So creating self-awareness, but also looking at... um, you know, in intoxication, when that desire, in that state of intoxication, judgment, decision-making, rationale almost gets dumbed down. So again, in the state of intoxication is when I'd be saying, let's take 15 minutes out, that's all you need, just to see if we can turn up the volume on judgment, decision, rationale, reasoning. And then we can start questioning, is this actually about the shop? Or is there something going on that I'm not processing, something emotional, something relational that needs a little bit more time and investigation? Mm. Well, that's really interesting because we did talk about her earliest money memories. And one of them is remembering going shopping at a young age on holidays with her family, which was a really happy experience for her and one that she has kind of almost golden memories of. I mean, would you say that's common for for shopping addicts i think there's there's um experiences in life this relates to somebody a long time ago that i was working with and very very sadly lost her mother at a really young age Mm. and her father spent money on her he bought her presents really what she probably needed more of was his time and being able to share their grieving together. Mm. And in his, you know, in his best way, he bought her lots of gifts. And it certainly seemed to be a link with that's how she managed her grief. Mm. And so with Brooks, I think it would be so interesting to look at what was happening around that time. What what made that that 
shopping so so intoxicating that it's mm. it's lingered mm. can we change the can we change the money script in a way um around shopping and challenging that intoxicating feeling i'm not for one minute suggesting that's easy but you can do something different of course you have to want to you have to want to enough there has to be desire enough to want to make changes that are almost like a rewiring of patterns. For other people listening, how would you recommend they could think about switching the thinking, as you say? Writing. (laughs) Sometimes actually writing the thoughts down and notice it. So becoming conscious of thoughts. You can't stop the thoughts, but you can readdress them. You can check, is, is is this rational thinking right now? Am I am I feeling something? Am I feeling overwhelmed that I I believe I can't manage? So I'm thinking shopping. Is there another way? Could I call somebody? Could I talk this through with somebody who's not going to tell me to do something or not to do something, but call somebody who can just listen to what I'm what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, how I'm feeling. Um, for some people, twelve step fellowships are really useful because there's a group of people who also understand. But there's there's other there's other groups there's other fellowships that you can find on Instagram people who really understand addiction, or or other sources like that. Keeping a list of all the spends can be useful, and then noting down the the negative consequences. It can be can be useful to just refer. Last time I spent, this is how I felt afterwards. So starting to rationalise things. We caught up with Brooke to see what she made of what the experts said. It was a lot to take in. Uh, I'm doing great. We are celebrating Thanksgiving here this week, which unfortunately also means Black Friday. Wow, yeah. Bombarded with, you know, the emails and like the marketing online and just all of that. So, but I'm really trying to be more mindful um, after our last conversation, it kind of, you know, gave me a lot to process and consider. So, do you feel a bit more hopeful after hearing from the experts that you might be able to work through or start to change and improve your relationship with with shopping? I honestly do because they both said things that I had not ever heard before, and I, you know, I didn't realize the self-esteem was as low as it was until you said that. And afterwards, I was like, wow, you know, I really, I think on a really deep, profound level, I don't think I deserve like the big things I want, like a vacation and a house and all that. So I settle for a $5 mug that still doesn't make me happy either. If there are other Brooks who are listening to this episode, hearing the story and finding that it is triggering for them, what would your message to them be, Brooke? Okay. If I could speak to all the other Brooks out there, you know, you have enough, you are enough, and it's going to be okay. I'm tearing up now hearing you say that. <laughs> I'm tearing up too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you know, but you are you are enough. You are enough. And it's so amazing to to hear you say that. And I really am convinced that talking about financial problems whatever they are that's what this podcast this show is is about you know getting it out into the open and 
helping people to come to terms with 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 problems get help and solve them so you've done an amazing thing just by taking part and i wish you all the best in the future oh. have you got, have you got a tissue no i have my shirt oh my gosh i do not know why that was like oh For anyone listening who has been affected by the issues in this podcast episode, there are links to resources in the show notes. You can also reach out to Amanda or Pamela via their websites, and we've included a link to those too. That's it for Money Clinic, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, get in touch. You can email me, our address is money at ft.com, or DM me on Twitter instagram or tiktok i'm at claire b money clinic was produced by persis love our executive producer is manuela saragosa our sound engineer is breen turner and the original music is by metaphor music and finally the money clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice for that you'll need to find a financial advisor that is the small print over and done with see you back here soon Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.